Welcome. You're listening to audio from Life Church in Chico, California. We're so glad that you're here. Life Church's mission is simply to connect people to Jesus. And you can find out more about our mission and who we are on our website at lifechurchchico.org. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Young. This is my beautiful wife, Carissa, and we are the leaders here at Life Church together. And uh, we have, oh, hey, got a shout out there. Oh, it's because you're up here, not because I never, I never get that. So, um, hey, just a couple of things that I want to share with you guys. We want to share together with you guys. Um, mission-minded, I know we have the family values up there. Chris is going to tackle that in a second, but mission-minded, I wanted to share, re-share this with you, keep this in front of you guys as we continually um, talk through this. Uh, mission-minded was something we did last year just to kind of rally us together in the season of when we were all kind of isolated and separate. And um, we found out, wow, this is something that really drives draws us together, and it really ends ends up blessing uh, all the missionaries that we're in touch with. Uh, We would say globally. Uh, Everybody say global. Yeah, so it's global and local at the same time. Um, And so we just talked about Christmas Wish. Uh, we do Christmas Wish. We we tackle that with all the gifts that you guys give. By the way, hit that text up right now as I'm talking. Uh, select a couple of, of kids to, to help out. It's an incredible way to bless the families uh, in need. Um, we end up getting them gifts for their parents to give to them. It's really a sweet thing that we do with Orchard and partner with them. Um, but we also hook them up with a couple of weeks of groceries um, just for the for the couple of weeks that just in the season of, of ch- challenge and trial. And, uh, and then we also have a couple of other, four other things that we have. I don't know if we have the list up there somewhere. Um, Christian, if we can put that up there, the five different areas. We have, uh, that's what we do locally is the Christmas wish. Then we have Peter and Shelly. We have YWAM. We got some YWAMers in here. We got at least one. Where else is YWAMer? No, maybe next service. Okay. Uh, we we uh, partner with Peter and Shelly. Uh, we partner with them individually as, as a couple, as missionaries, but also with their team. They're sending a team, team three teams out, one to Uganda, one to Thailand and one to Mexico. Incredible stuff. So we support them. And then Pastor Chris right here, who's speaking today, which is awesome. Pastor Chris with Polaris goes to Russia several times a year and just is able to bless a ton of pastors. He, he provides a pastoral pastoring care network with Polaris, which is incredible and awesome and a lot of influence there. Then we've got Mexico in March. For those of you who want to come with us in March to build two houses and connect with Dorothy's ministry down there, it's going to be amazing. Sign up for that at the welcome booth, but we fund two homes down there for, for the families that are there. Uh, it is, an, it is a, a, a long-lasting legacy for those families. It is something that is incredibly powerful because it sets them up for, for success in the future with not just the family that's there, but also the families to come who will live there. It's really amazing. Um, and then finally, we have our El Salvador missionaries, Jared and Kelly Mueller, who were here in July, who shared with us. Um, they're just incredible uh, missionaries down there in El Salvador. Their, their ministry is growing, and so we continually get to support them. We're helping them with, with a bunch of Christmas gift stuff with their uh, local communities, and, and it is just uh, amazing what we get to do. So what we've done is we're trying to raise $50,000, which sounds like, whoa, hey, that's a, that's a lofty goal. But uh, what we've been doing is we've been doing a dollar-for-dollar match, and so, so far we've raised $38,000. Can we get an amen on that? So really what that means, check it out. That's only six grand left from the church that we're saying, hey, like, 
partner however the Lord would put it on your heart and, and, and jump in and, and give in, in the way that he's asking you to this season. This isn't like some pledge. This isn't some like money grab. It's just simply pray and ask the Lord, invite him to see what you would wanna give. And if it's a dollar, then great. If it's nothing, great, that's fine. I trust you in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, if it's a thousand, then give a thousand, whatever it might be. Do what the Lord's putting on your heart to do. So that's mission-minded. Just wanna encourage you. We're gonna try and finish that up in December and just really looking forward to being able to bless all five of these like abundantly. That's a lot of money for those. They, they gives them the freedom and flexibility to do a lot of fun things in ministry in powerful ways. So it's so cool. So just wanna do that. And now we're gonna do family values, which we've been doing for several weeks now. And uh, there's a lot of you who are new and guests with us and just uh, jumping in with us. And we just want to share this with you guys. Just like, who is Life Church? Uh, Bob talked about uh, Life Tracks. So jump in in January, sign up for that uh, online or at the welcome booth. But also um, that is just a really good way to on-ramp who, who is Life Church? What are we all about? And, and collectively have the same experience. So we've been talking about some of those, but we have two more that we want to share this morning. So I'll give it away to you. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot about serving. You've been hearing about sit one, serve one, where you sit through one service, but you serve at one service. Uh, we've been talking about um, life kids, how much we love and value life kids. And we talked about our team gathering that we do before church on Sundays and something else, life tracks. We talked about that. Um, so we've been talking a lot about what happens here on a Sunday. But did you know that church does not just happen on Sunday? What? Yes. Because we wow. are the church, and we are not here all the time. Like so, most of the time, actually. Most of the time. <laughs> so um, some other values that we have that happen outside of the Sunday morning are meet and eats and life groups. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. So meet and eats um, are super fun. Um, if you participated in one this last season, you got to meet a group of people that you ate a meal with once a week for a few weeks, and it just does what I call um, cross-sanctuary connections. So you like look across the way, and you're like, oh, I know you now. You don't just have your little bubble at church anymore. And no so, bubbles allowed at church. Yeah. Break the bubble We don't up. like the bubbles. Don't sit in the same seat every single weekend. Just going to throw that out there. Even though we do. Oh, did I just? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so meet and eats are great and we're going to start those again in February. So they, the goal is to meet three or four times. Um, it's a short and sweet thing that hopefully gives you a like, oh man, I want to connect with that person again. I'm going to invite them to my house for dinner next time. Or, you know, it's just a way to kind of get some relational, um, credit credibility going here. And then, um, life groups, will follow meet and eats. So those will start in March. And we just finished our season of life groups currently that are happening. I think some of them are still finishing up maybe this week. But um, life groups are for more connect more relational connection, but also we really dig into the Bible together. We check in with each other. We pray for each other. And it's really where life happens. If you want transformation and growth, you've got to come to a life group because Sunday morning only does so much. Serving is a piece of that growth, right? You learn a lot about yourself in serving and giving away. Um, life groups is where you get more deposited in you and you get to have that um, 
more conversation with others to really dig deep. Um, we had some great conversation last night, just questions, what does that really mean? And just really kind of dialoguing and digging in. And um, so those two things are coming this next season and uh, really try to be a part of one of them um, because that's really where uh, more of the life of the church happens more than just on a Sunday. Yeah, so meet needs, or uh, yeah, meet needs are for a month, four weeks, yeah. where you, you sign up and we put you in a house, which is awesome. It's like roulette, like, ooh, <laughs> what are we going to do? Whose house are we going to get to? Uh, but we set up a lot of homes that are incredibly hospitable, loving, caring, welcoming. And so uh, when we uh, put you in one of those homes, people kind of go in with a little bit of trepidation, like, oh, geez, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I do this. And then you, you have your first dinner, and you're like, that was the best thing ever. It really, like, we can't, we can't get enough testimonies for, of that. Like, everybody comes back going, this was, thank you for doing that. It is one of the, it's probably a treat for what we do, I feel like, meetings. Yeah. It, it really is the, the appetizer to life groups. It is, it is getting us rolling on just relational uh, equity and time together that then rolls into life groups where we can dig into the word together and grow these lifelong relationships centered on Christ centered on the word together. And everybody should just be like, amen. Absolutely, pastors Jeff and Carissa. We are like down with this. Yeah? Sound good? So um, I think that's good. Okay. Pastor Chris, we want to give him a round of applause as he comes up. Here you go. I'm ready. I'm ready for you to speak. It's <laughs> awesome. Hey, can you just, I just want to just always shout out Pastor Chris. Just love him so much. And uh, we've, we've been together now for four years. That's right. It's incredible. Almost four and a half, really. Yeah. Is that right, Jessica? Wow. Time flies. No Time joke. flies. But um, I just really want to say how much I appreciate this man. And as he is our associate pastor, he is, a, he is my pastor as well, like our pastor. We just love, love you so much and so cherish what you have to offer. So bring Thank it you. today and have, give him your ear and your heart this morning. Oh, love you guys. Thank you. Well, for me, it's always a joy to just have a good conversation with everyone on a Sunday morning. Pastor Jeff's been leading us through these God stories, and I've loved it. And I'm going to tell another story this morning, but what I find interesting about stories is that they kind of morph every time they're told, right? So the uncle that caught a fish this big, 10 years later, the, the fish ends up being this big, right? But there is something that we need as a culture about oral tradition. We need that ability to uh, sit down, have a conversation, but tell those wonderful stories. And uh, I told a story uh, earlier this year about my lemon tree that wouldn't produce. Uh, about 10 plus years ago, it just stopped producing lemons. And my dad told me a story that uh, my great aunt, Angelita, had this uh, story that if you take tree branches and you beat the trunk of the tree, the next year it will produce lemons. So. I beat that lemon tree last year in 2020. Well, by summertime this year, there were still no lemons on that tree. So as you know, I was in Russia for two months with my wonderful wife, Natasha. Good morning, Natasha. She watches uh, our services every Sunday. And uh, I came home 
uh, November the 11th. Uh, The next morning on the 12th, I'm up early, I'm at the kitchen sink, and I look out the window, and I notice that uh, yellow flowers had grown underneath the lemon tree. And I said, well, that's strange. Daffodils are not supposed to be, uh, you know, growing right now. But then I took another look and realized that they were lemons on the ground. So I ran out the back door of the house and found not only were there a lot of lemons that had fallen off the tree, but the lemon tree was jam-packed full of lemons. So the story continues, you see. My great aunt, my tia Angelita, was right. And so I'm now telling my family, I'm taking pictures, showing it to nieces, nephews, Not so much that I beat the tree and lemons grew, but we recalled, many of us that knew my great aunt, just this wonderful memory of who she was, one of the best cooks in the family, by the way. And now nieces and nephews who really never heard of her got to hear about her, but also this story of if your trees don't produce fruit, beat them, okay? (laughs) And so uh, you're welcome for those of you who have uh, trees at home that after church are going to go whale on them. Good for you. Give it a shot. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing that it will work, but I'm just encouraging you to give it a try. But you see, there's something about that story that now you know, and that more than likely you're going to be in a situation where somebody's going to say, man, this cherry tree just won't produce cherries anymore. I've got an idea, you know? And it will turn into a great discussion at the dinner table that night. But that's the key of telling stories. And Jesus loved to tell stories. We call them parables. And parables at times are are explained as earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. But also the thing about these stories, these parables that Jesus told, is that they always had a punchline. They, They weren't just random stories about random things, he told the stories with intent so that it would impact the people who were listening to them. So don't hold back. A lot of us will say, I don't want to share this, or this will be boring. Actually, you telling your story could actually change someone's life. And this is what I tell people who are going through difficult times as well as good times. I always say, make sure you tell your story because you could be answering a question that a person has about life. And I love, I know a lot of your stories, and a lot of you know that I'm a question asker, or as some people call me, a scab picker, because I'll just begin to pull at something. But for me, it gives me a deeper understanding of those individuals. And I'm thinking of Todd and Carrie. I've known them a long time. And I love to hear their story of how they got together. I love to hear the story how Carrie was this wide-eyed teenager and Todd happened to be one of the youth leaders. And years later, of course, Todd comes back to the home church and there's Carrie all grown up, not that little wide-eyed little junior high, high schooler. And of course, they're married now and have three children. And that now is your opportunity to pull them aside and say, tell me your story. See, there's something powerful about that. And it, not, it doesn't just legitimize us or legitimize the story, but what it does 
is it continues the stories of God's miracles, of what God did and how God can do the same thing for you. So I think it's great that Pastor Jeff has taken us through some of these stories that a lot of times we can just race through the story as we're reading it because we already know it or we've already heard it. But the sad thing about that is that if we rush through it, we may miss some incredible points that God is trying to communicate to us because the scripture is alive. We're told that it's, it's alive and it's, it's like a double-edged sword and that it not only does it cut away the fleshly callous things, but it also opens up the spiritual things if we let it do its work. And of course, the Old Testament is full of narratives, full of stories. And here's a little key that I want you to take to heart. Just because it's a story in the Old Testament doesn't mean it's a story that we are supposed to replicate. (laughs) We're not, okay, there are some things in the stories of the Old Testament that are warnings, that are the example of something we should never do, okay? So make sure you read those things as well when you read them to say, okay, is this something that God wants me to repeat or emulate or mirror, or does he want me to avoid this at all costs? But that's why we spend time studying the scripture. It's important. And so this morning, I want to talk about four guys. And I thought I'd be uh, cute and think of some acute title like Pastor Jeff's last week. His sermon was, was it, Two Butts and a something? I can't remember. But uh, I, I couldn't think of anything clever. But this is the story of four lepers we find in 2 Kings chapter 6, chapter 7. And if you read the story and the miracle that took place, we miss the importance of these four outcasts, these four diseased men who had leprosy. And so uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going we're gonna to read their story, okay? Now, this is one of many stories that take place in uh, the first Kings, second Kings, and this related specifically to the prophet Elisha, who that's a great story of how Elisha became the one who inherited Elijah's ministry. But here is Elisha at a time where the nation of Israel was now divided. There was the nation of Judah, and then there was the nation of Israel. And they were that way because they had really fallen away from the Lord. They had stopped following God wholeheartedly. So a lot of the kings of Israel and kings of Judah took God's people in really wrong directions. And when you do that, you open yourself up to persecution, attack, and that's exactly what was happening. The, uh, the kings in the surrounding areas were always picking on the Israelites because they knew they were vulnerable. And so this is one of those stories where the Israelites were under siege. So if you don't have your Bibles, it's up there on the screen. And we're going to take the time to read this. And I want you to really highlight in your mind of like, well, that's an interesting thing. See, that's the other thing is that the Bible in the telling of the stories should be challenged by us to say, what does that mean? Well, why did they say that? Why did they do that? And in doing so, you could uncover things that will give you insight into what God's up to and God's character. And so right now, there is this king called Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Aram. And he, in verse 24, he mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. 
And this is where uh, the king of Israel was camping out, even though Jerusalem was like the national capital of Israel. But at, at this time, they had wandered over, or for some reason, Jehoram, the, the king of Israel, decided to be there in Samaria. And when he was there, uh, Ben-Hadad said, all right, I'm going to go get them. And that's exactly what happens. They laid siege to them. Uh, there was a great famine in the city, and the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of cab of seed pods for five shekels. Now, many of us don't even know what that is. And that's, again, one of those moments where we could just read over that and say, what in the world is this cab pod? Anybody know? It's dove dung, dug, the, the poop of, of doves, okay? And you're thinking, why would anybody even buy that? You know why they bought it? They used it as a form of seasoning because there was no salt to be had. So if you wanted to eat that donkey head, you seasoned it with dove poop. That's how bad things were. You see, and again, you were just like, okay, yeah, whatever. And taking the time to research it could actually show us how horrible and the conditions of the people at that time. So the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, and these walls were huge. You could Sometimes you could actually fit five soldiers abreast that would walk along these walls. And so uh, while the king was passing by walking on this wall, a woman cried to him, help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman here said to me, give up your son so that we may eat him today and tomorrow we will eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. I know this is gross. But again, the point of the story is to show how bad things had gotten. What happens when people reach that place of famine, that they will lower themselves to cannibalism. And so we cooked my son and we ate him. The next day I said, hey, give me your son. Uh, but she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes and he went along the wall. The people looked and they saw underneath his robes he had sackcloth on his body. And this is basically camel hair or a basically undergarments made out of the hair of a camel, which was very uncomfortable, okay? But it's a form of outward repentance. It's like if you're in a repentant place or you're mourning or you're beseeching God, this is what you would wear. And he said, may God deal with me ever so severely if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now, Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a messenger ahead before he uh, arrived. Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? And while he was still talking to him, then the messenger came down to him and the king said, this, the king shows up after the messenger and says, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And so even though he was repentant, okay, uh, Jehoram, the king, he was wearing this, you know, <laughs> hair underwear, 
as a form of repentance, he became so irritated and so aghast by the cannibalism that was taking place right before him in, in his very city that he sent this messenger and says, we're going to cut your head off. But what's interesting is that Elisha knew this. The Lord had given him insight and said, yeah, this is about to happen. And so he had these elders protect him and shut the door. But he also said, and the king is going to come. Now, this is one of those things that you could say, well, that's just part of the story. Why would the king send a messenger to arrest him and say, we're going to cut off your head and then chase after the messenger right afterwards, like literally on his heels? It would lead us to believe that I think Jehoram had second thoughts. He was like, okay, we're going to cut your head off. And then was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So he chased after the messenger, was following basically in his footsteps to get to Elisha. And then he makes this reasoning, this case, not only against Elisha, but against God. He says, look, this is how bad things are. It's obvious that God has abandoned us. And since you're his spokesman, I'm going to cut you off. Literally, I'm going to cut your head off as a way of not only dealing with you, but dealing with the God who has abandoned us. Why not? So I'm going to cut off my connection with God, but I'm going to do that by murdering you, Elisha. So in verse 1, this was Elisha's response. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and the two seahs of barley for a shekel of for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, again, what in the world is a seah? Basically, it's uh, by English standards, British standards, is what you would call a peck. It would be basically uh, eight ounces dry weight. And so he's saying, look, fine, precious flour. Eight ounces of it, this is going to be a shekel. Remember how much it costs to get the head of a donkey? 80 shekels. So Elisha is saying, look, tomorrow you're going to be able to get all this flour for a buck. And everything you need, like barley, you're going to get it for half that this same time tomorrow. So when he says this, one of the king's administrators, counselors, looks up and says this in verse 2. Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, how could this happen? And this is what Elijah says. You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elijah, but you will not eat any of it. So this assistant, this counselor to the king, mocks the prophecy, mocks the provision of the Lord, says, yeah, right, what's going to happen? and uses an illustration that is known to the Israelites of when the flood came, Noah's Ark flood, it says that the windows of heaven opened, and that's why there was so much rain. So basically, he was mocking the prophet and mocking God's actions from the past. And Elisha just says, yeah, it's going to happen, but you won't see it. Now, what's interesting about stories and how they're told is sometimes there's like an ellipsis. There's this telling of the story and then dot, 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 we go on to another story and you're like, wait, what? how did we go here? Well, there's a reason. So here Elisha is saying things are about to change. 
Yeah, things are bad. There's famine. We're eating an unclean animal, which Israelites were not supposed to eat donkeys, period. Not only were they eating them, they ate the most unhealthy, grossest part of the animal, the head. So, and they were eating dove poop, all right? This is how bad things were. And in the midst of that, Elijah says, yeah, but this is about what's ready to happen. And then, verse 1, chapter 7, now there were four men with leprosy. Stop right there. We all have a general idea of what leprosy is. It's a horrible, horrible condition where your skin just literally begins to disintegrate. And they were unclean, which meant that they could not socialize any longer with any of their family, their friends, or the nation at all. They're always put out in a colony or in a place where they were provided for, but they were outcast. And here were these four guys at the entrance of the city gate. Verse 3, they said to each other, why, shall, uh, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. And if they kill us, we will die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. Hmm. Why? Because, verse 6, the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled into the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, and they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. When the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, they entered one of the tents and they ate and drank. Well, of course, they were starving, right? And they were dying of thirst. But then what happened is they looked around and they took the silver and the gold and the clothes and went off and they hid them. Then they returned and they entered another tent and they took some things from it and they hid them. Now, part of you would say, well, why not? We're poor, we're dying, we're lepers, we have nothing. These guys have left, let's take their stuff. But what happens is interesting. Verse 9, it says that they said to each other, what are we doing? This is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. And so they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them what had happened. They rehearsed the story. We'll stop there for a second. Now, what we don't realize a lot of time in reading this amazing story is that the decision of four outcasts, four lepers, literally changed the destiny of a nation. Think about it. Elisha said, look, this is what's going to happen, King Jehoram. Tomorrow, this is going to happen. And all he received was disdain and mockery. And then it tells us about these four guys who are dying, dying of leprosy and dying of famine, and they're standing at the gate. 
Now, the thing that I love about this story is that God decided that he was going to accomplish things through these four lepers. And I don't know what it is. You know, you think about it. Everybody else at that point had resorted to hopelessness, helplessness, cannibalism, all of those things. But these four lepers decided that this impossible situation actually had some possibilities. And I think that this story is important to us today is because at any one time, we can be in an impossible situation. Impossible because at that moment, there seems to be no reasonable answer to solve the impossible situation. And you can't blame these people in the sense of they didn't have faith or whatever it was. That was a real circumstance. When we think about the story that Pastor Jeff told last week, when these spies came back and said, yeah, we were like grasshoppers, well, that's because there were nine-foot guys in the other camp. So it wasn't like they were afraid of ghosts or anything like that. It was they literally said, yeah, those guys are big and we're tiny. And so in the same way, people were like saying, well, it's all over. The king had arrived at a conclusion. Look, God has abandoned us. But these four lepers, they're under siege, cut off from all resources. They too had had their hope and their morals and their civility and their actually their own human dignity had been challenged. It was like, what's the point? People in the city were doing the unthinkable. They were eating the head of a donkey, the least healthy part of the animal, and they shouldn't have been doing it anyway. So all these things were taking place. Now, they could have blamed others. They could have said, this is not our responsibility. Let's just lay down and die. But they had this interesting discussion amongst themselves, and I want us to have the same discussion this morning. These four lepers, yeah, they were in the same situation that they were experiencing famine, but they had it worse in that they had a disease that was killing them slowly. Not only that, they had been neglected and they had been forgotten because they were lepers. And so these four neglected, leprous, disgusting outcasts were the ones that God chose to be the heroes of the nation simply because they sat down and they had this little conversation. And again, I don't know if it was a revelation. I don't know if it was just common sense or it was dumb luck, but they sat down and they said, hey, if we stay here, we're going to die. You can go ahead and put up that first slide. This was their conclusion, okay? Their conclusion was we can accept things as they are and surrender to fate. And in many ways, none of us could blame them. It was an impossible situation, especially for them. More than in the king, more than the women who had been eating their own children, on and on. These were guys that had been rejected, outcasts, and were dying. Yet something inside of them said, well, you know, we could stay here. We could accept it and accept fate and just die. When we are put in impossible situations, let's be honest, folks, a lot of us feel that way. 
We just say, you know, what the heck? There's a saying in Russian that says, nachrena. It's just like, what's the point? Let's give up. Then they went, well, or we could go back into the city and be with our friends and with our family. But you see, doing that would have meant that they would have given up and they would have surrendered to their past. What was their past? Lepers were not treated very well. A lot of times if they came within a certain distance to people who didn't have leprosy, they were abused verbally, but they would also have rocks thrown at them. They would be beaten, many times actually stoned to death. And they said, well, we could go back into the city. We could go back to rejection. We could go back to even to execution. But if we do that, we'll die. There's a temptation for all of us when we're in that impossible situation is just to go back. Yeah, I know those people were very nice to me, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I could go back there and yeah, they abused me there, but I can still go back there. There's this temptation. Even the children of Israel, after they've been set free from Egypt and the heavy hand of the Pharaoh, at one point said, you know, it actually wasn't too bad there in Egypt. And there's this tendency in us folks to give up and to go back to the lives we used to live. I've been there and I've talked to many Christians that have said, you know, this thing of following Jesus is just too doggone hard. And you know what? I think I'm just going to go back to my old life. Even though it was death. And they said that. If we go back into the city, there's death there. But isn't that interesting in us that places that robbed us of life suddenly began to feel like an option. And that's the way the enemy works. Just go back. Go back to the way it used to be. It'll be all right. They won't be as mean to you. That abusive husband, he, you know, he said he was really sorry, so I'm just going to go back to him. He'd probably be okay. And we, we rationalize in our mind. But these lepers weren't, nah, if we go back to the city, we'll just die there. But then they came to this third conclusion. They said, hey, but if we go forward, if we go to the enemy, we might live. Now, what were they thinking? If the Israelites rejected them because they had leprosy, why would the Arameans go, oh, four lepers, sure, come on in, you guys. Here's some food. We'll take care of you. It was a suicide mission. But there, yet there was this hope that was like, but maybe if we went forward and they left everything behind because they saw the possibility of life. And again, folks, when we get into these impossible situations, here's the word of the Lord to us today. If we keep going forward, God could make a sound. God could do something. You see? And so I thought it was just interesting as they went forward. If you look at the chronology of this story, I believe literally this, when they came to that conclusion to say, okay, let's go for it. That first step triggered a miracle of God. How else was this fine flower going to just sell for a buck? How could it be that instantaneous of an outpouring of abundance? Well, think about it. 
these four guys, leprous and all, make a step towards this camp, and God makes this sound. And it wasn't just a boom. It was literally in the, in the ears of the Arameans. It was chariots. It was horses. It was the sound of a marching army. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like? And it was so powerful that these men panicked, dropped everything, didn't even think to take anything with them. They just ran for their lives. God did that the minute that these four knuckleheads decided to take a step and God released the miracle. Here's the key for us today. I don't, I don't know the impossible situation that you're in right now. I'm in one right now. My wife is stuck in Russia. And we can't get anyone to give her her final interview. I was there for two months. There were 12 countries, U.S. embassies, that we appealed to and said, will you please interview Natasha Reyes? We were rejected by all, every U.S. embassy. Doug LaMalfa's office, the congressman sent a letter to all of those U.S. embassies on our behalf saying, please reconsider. They graciously denied the honorable congressman. And my wife said to me one day, she goes, I read this weird article, doesn't sound right, that the U.S. embassy in Poland is taking Russian visa applicants. And I sat down right then and I wrote a letter to the U.S. Embassy in Poland. I came home on the 11th. On the 10th, the evening, we were staying at a hotel by the airport. I get an email at 5 o'clock at night from the U.S. Embassy in Poland said, we will interview Natasha Reyes. You see what I mean? I could have said to her, oh, yeah, that story. They all say that. What's the point? We've been rejected 12 times twice. Why? It's never going to work, blah, blah, blah. But something in me just went, sent it off. And now, of course, we're waiting for the U.S. Embassy in Poland to schedule Natasha's interview. When you and I step forward, we can trigger a miracle of God. The challenge that we have is that we look at our circumstances. We look at who we are. They could have said, we're just four Gross lepers. Who's going to listen to us? Why would God do anything for us? We've been rejected. We've been kicked out. But they took that step. And not only was it a personal victory for them, it was a public victory for the nation of Israel. And it was a lesson in humility and obedience. When they arrived, the enemy was gone. And it made sense that they nourished themselves right away. But then they began the temptation of acquiring wealth and they begin to grab it. Can you imagine hiding it? And then one of them said, you know, this isn't right. And that's another lesson we can learn from these four lepers. It's like, I deserve this. I've been through hell. I've been through all this. Mine, mine, mine. And so here they were. They could have said, they cast us out. And the other one, leper said, no, we're still a citizen of the nation of Israel. One of the lepers could have said, you know, that we've been rejected and hurt and beaten by our fellow countrymen. And another leper said, no, well, we will only bring upon ourselves more suffering if we do this because we're part of a community. In essence, they were saying this just isn't a private victory. 
This is a public victory. And so we need to go tell the leaders of the nation. When God does a miracle for us, you guys, it's not just for us. When God does a major miracle through our obedience, we're supposed to share the wealth and we're supposed to tell the story. That's the reason for the story. And my sharing my story right now of Poland taking Natasha. Again, folks, I'm telling you that is if God can do that, he can do for us, he can do that for you. Don't be selfish in this either. So it's like, oh, finally, God finally took care of me. Now it's where we take what we have and we say, okay, who can I help get out of that rut? Who's over there eating the head of a donkey? How can I get them out of that mess? God got me out of that mess. This is one of those stories, you guys, that when you think about it, stepping towards hope can trigger a miracle. This is something you have to say to yourself in the midst of your impossible situation. I've got to keep going forward. Because if I do, I could be taken care of by God, but I could also bring victory and abundance to my family, my friends, and my community. Amen? Let's all stand and pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for these four guys. I can't wait to meet them in heaven. Their obedience, Lord, brought about the prophetic word that Elisha declared. Lord, all of us have stuff that we're going through. And we can just say, no, what's the point? We can surrender to fate. Or we can say, I've been just, I'm tired. The Lord's not with me. I'm just going to go back to my old life. But there's death there, not life. Or I could take a step forward and God could make a sound and trigger a miracle. Think of that impossible situation that you're going through. And maybe you have given up. Maybe you have said, oh, the heck with it. Maybe this morning, this story is being told so that you can get up, stop looking at your circumstances, and take a step forward towards life. Heavenly Father, help us do this. We're weak, we're tired, and sometimes exhausted. But at least we could keep walking forward, and you'll meet us in our obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday. And if you need prayer, if you need to take that step, if you've given up, come on up here. We want to stand with you and pray with you and help you get through this impossible situation. Be blessed. Go in peace. Thank you for listening today. We hope that this week's message encouraged you. Life Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. here in Chico, California. You can also listen to us online during our 9 a.m. live stream. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, so please visit our website, lifechurchchico.org.